Hi, and so awesome to have you here on my podcast, Change and Perspective, your podcast for inspiring new ideas for a conscious and sustainable life while traveling and at home. My name is Katrin David. Join me on my adventure to more positivity in the world. I'm so happy to share this interview with you because I'm here in Malaysia for several weeks already and seeing all the palmer plantations and thinking about local people trying to protect their land. I actually had the opportunity to talk to one of them who's a member of Safe Rivers who's fighting together with communities to protect this land. And um, yeah, I'm talking to Mark and um, he's sharing why dams are actually not so green as they seem. would be illegal. In the interview I learned so so much not only about dams but also about general work as a community grassroots organization so I'm very happy to share it and I don't want to talk too much so yeah let's start. Welcome to the podcast welcome back to another interview episode and um, right now in Malaysia, in Miri, on Borneo, and um, coming here to Malaysia, I really wished or dreamed about talk to um, local people fighting for their land, and uh, I'm super grateful to have now the opportunity to talk to, to, talk to Mark Bujang, one member of Safe Rivers, here in Sarawak, Borneo. It's basically a group of concerned citizens that speak up against dams and they want to empower rural communities, but we'll get more into details now later what they are doing. And yeah, I'm very happy and thank you so much for taking the time. Welcome to the podcast. Thank, thank you. you. I think I would right away like to start with you and what was your journey to Safe Rivers and why did you decide to work with the organization or basically you said you were one of the founding members so how did it all start yes um, it all started out when we were uh, during the time which was sometime in 2011-2010 or even earlier than that in 2009 and there's an issue of uh, uh, the Murum Dam 
just came out. So uh, at that time, there were not many NGOs who are willing to work on them issues. I think one of the reasons why is because uh, we got our, basically we got our fingers burnt when we did the issue for uh, Bakun the previous few years back during the late, uh, I mean, during the 90s. So it was a painful experience for, for NGOs at the time because we were campaigning very hard, uh, even went to the federal government, even brought the, the, the issue to court and we won in court initially. But uh, after that, politics came in and, uh, and politicians started to meddle in the affairs of the, the I mean, in, in the issue. And, and uh, when it goes to the higher, when a government appeal and it goes to the higher courts, the decision was over, overturned. Yeah, and, uh, and also the people in Bakun also, uh, you can say they were, uh, they're convinced that Bakun is going to, uh, 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 going to develop the area, the interior, and they're going to be better off when there is a dam. Bill, and after that, I mean, because of that, there's some of the NGOs or some of the activists who worked at that time got a bit uh, immoralized. So when the it Murum Dam came into the picture in 2008, 2009, not many NGOs at that time wanted to go and do the, the, the campaign again. Uh, so, but the issue is pressing. And then, uh, and then also, there was also, in the beginning we heard rumors that the Sarawak state government is going to build more dams throughout the, the state. And, uh, and uh, that rumor actually became true when, uh, when uh, there was one PowerPoint presentation which actually leaked out. It was actually from Sarawak Energy. They went to China to promote, uh, I mean, the dam plan, the dam, the dam building plants in Sarawak, and uh, one of the presentation was leaked into the internet. So we managed to get hold of it, and then we then that, that's when we saw the picture that the Sarawak government has plans to build at least fifty-two dams in the state. So that was the decision when we realized that, and uh, we need to do something. But we cannot do it alone. So and also and also the Baram dam issue also came into the picture, and and then uh, most of the activists at the time were in Miri. Uh, most of them come from Baram, so it actually hits them right in the in the heart. So they need to do something. So that's why uh, we got together, uh, had a, uh, one historical meeting in two thousand. I forgot what when, what year was it, but. That was it. They even decided to, be, to form a network of uh, activists and organizations to fight against the dam, to campaign against the dam. So that's how Safe Rivers was 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 formed. So I was uh, actually representing my organization, Primas Borneo Resources Institute. So Primas at that time we were working mostly on. Um, Native issues, or uh, indigenous people's issues relating to land, land grass by oil palm companies, by by timber companies, and so we came in 
as one of the uh, NGOs in in the networks. Mm -hmm. So when we form the network, uh, and uh, and we got it registered somehow, and then uh, but uh, I mean it was registered, and then I I want I became one of the the, the, the one of the I mean not not a director, one of the secretaries mm -hmm. of the, the organization. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, mean, I ended up being a support member. Yeah. yeah. So you said um, the issues with the dam hit the people right in their heart because it was also their, their land affecting? Yeah, most of the people in yeah. Baram, most mm -hmm. the activists at that time, they were in Baram. Why? How was it affecting them? Uh, it affects them directly because most, most of their villages are going to be flooded. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but uh, like for Peter, even though he is not from Upper Barat, Peter Kalang, our chairman, but he is below the dam. So he's also going to be affected uh, indirectly because uh, uh, effects of downstream activities below the dam is going to be affected, like the low, low river levels mm -hmm. and uh, also land. Uh, where are they going to resettle people in Barat later on? So that's a big issue as well. So, I mean, if you're going to recycle them below the dam, that means they're going to end up getting land from people who are already residing below the dam. So there's mm -hmm. going to be a conflict at all. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's why people in Baram mainly, they feel that they need to do something, they need to speak out, they need to to, to inform the public that uh, uh, this dam building activities is actually not uh, good for the state. Yeah. yeah, maybe you can also get more into detail. Why is it? Um, um, we also talked a little bit about it. Um, when I thought about dams in the beginning, I thought, okay, it's green energy for me from Europe, for example. It's it's water, it's renewable energy. From what I, if you don't really know what is happening, actually, when we traveled to Laos, we saw a big, big flooded area with trees that were dead, and people told us, yeah, that's a dam, and we also saw the dam. That was the first time I thought about, okay, maybe dance not every time a good idea. And I think most of the people also maybe listening don't really know what kind of effects the dam can have. Maybe you can uh, talk about this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, those the proponents of the dam or those who are supporting the dam, mega dams especially, they always say, paint the picture that this sort of uh, uh, development is actually good. Uh, it actually brings clean energy, just uh, renewable energy. That's how the state, that's how the state government markets it. They even, they even uh, have this uh, state project called South Corridor of Renewable Energy Score for short. And uh, dams is actually the integral part of the score project. So under score, we have all these heavy industries which which they are going to. Um, promote and get investors to come in and invest in the state. And a lot of these heavy industries will be using uh, hydroelectric power from the dams. And another thing they say, they, 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 they say is it's going to promote, uh, uh, build uh, jobs. So we bring in um, jobs for the local people and also we bring in uh, investment for the state. I mean, that is, the what they are, the, the government selling, they sell it, they are selling point of uh, having mega dams. But to us, I mean, the effects we have seen the effects of uh, Pakun, 
I mean, before this, when we had Bakunda, they also said the same thing. Um, you bring development to, to the rural areas, this is good for you. If we move the resettlement scheme, you know, resettlement scheme, you be, your lives are much better off. You have jobs, you have uh, access to towns, you have schools, you have all, those, mm-hmm. all the basic uh, public amenities. Uh, but after we've seen what Bakun has, Bakun has happened, a lot of these promises is uh, fell short. Yeah. So the conditions of the resettlement scheme was bad. And the houses that, that, that were built for the people to be resettled there was very, they were, it was built, uh, I mean, the condition is very poor quality. So the villagers themselves, they have to fork out their own money to make the, the, their homes uh, a bit better, to, to do some repairs and all that. Uh, and then in the beginning, they said that uh, the houses will be free. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is just move, bring your family, bring your whatever you have in your, your old area to the new place, the restaurant scheme. And the, your, your home there will be free. You don't have to pay any electricity. You don't have to pay any water. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they move in, then you have to sign an agreement saying that uh, for the first three years, you don't have to pay anything. Mm-hmm. But after the three-year period ends, then you have to start paying for the your electricity bill, your water bill, as well as the cost of purchasing the unit of a, a house. In the, I mean, the long house. It's a long house, but that unit of a house in the in the in the area. So they ended up having to pay for all this. Mm-hmm. And also in the resettlement scheme, the uh, I mean the. This they, they said you have access to you have better access to towns, and, but uh, of course the roads are there, but the condition of the roads are very bad. It's still gravel, some parts of it is not maintained, and then uh, even schools there's only uh, like only like only a few years ago they have built like the the the, uh, the secondary school before this was only a primary school. A lot of people had to go for that way. To get the children to be uh, to send the children to school. Only now that they have, after a lot of complaints, that they built schools. But still, there are a lot of uh, public thing uh, facilities which is lacking in Bakun, like fire services, for example. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fires happening in Bakun. Okay. A lot of long houses burned down. I mean, this like last month, this was one long house that just burned down. So, they, I mean, the nearest. Uh, fire station is in Midulu, which is about 100 kilometers away. And they only have like a volunteer firefighting group in, in the scheme itself, which is not adequate and not enough. And then, uh, even if it's adequate, the water pressure to, to oh, that one is also very low. And picking your water, the water supply over there is sometimes it's not reliable. Like during dry season, you don't get any water. Or the water may be very uh, muddy mm-hmm. comes out from the old pipe. It's very muddy. So these are the complaints that the people in in in, in the Bakun Restoration Scheme said to us and also said to people mm-hmm. uh, from from Baram. So we bring out people from Baram over to to Bakun to see the situation for themselves. And also in terms of job opportunities, uh, because these dams are built by Chinese consortiums. Uh, from China. So a lot of these uh, uh, 
I mean, the companies from China, they bring in their own labor. They bring in their own labor, they bring in their own machinery. So basically, there's not much job opportunities for locals except to become security guards or maybe in the management level. Uh, but apart from that, it's done. So, uh, and also, um, when it comes to the Chinese company building these dams, they, they come in a package whereby uh, the state government does not have to pay the dam building now. You can pay like a few years down the road, then you can start paying. So that's how now the state government is, um, and they don't have to, we don't have to get, we don't feel the, the, the economic uh, uh, side, downside of it for paying the, for these big dams. Because uh, China has said, oh, you, you, you pay us later. We build the dam first, when it's completed, then you can pay us. Okay. Yeah. So, in that, I mean, directly, you, you create the, the state is indebted to China. So that's why one of the fear is that if we cannot pay our debts, what will happen? Will China take over that piece of land where, where they build the dam? <laughs> so that is one of the questions as well. And then uh, also, in terms of the environmental yeah, effects of it, uh, even though they say it's renewable, but because you flood large areas of land, forested areas, uh, that means you are destroying the forest land. You are also destroying the, I mean, you are displacing the habitat as well, animals and, uh, and, uh, and also the, the bad thing, the bad effect about uh, flooding forest areas while the forest is still intact is that when the trees start to rot, this will, re this will release a lot of greenhouse gases, a lot of uh, carbon dioxide, a lot of methane and all this. So it, it, it actually is the reverse of of uh, uh, environmental friendly. Mm -hmm. I mean, they say fossil fuels, but by doing a large dam, you you are releasing more carbon carbon dioxide, more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So it's not good for 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 the for the, the climate. Yeah. So that is the, the 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 biggest impact of I mean in terms of environment. Uh, Issues for the mega dams, mm -hmm. uh, but I would, however, we, I mean, there are some dams which this is actually good. This is what we call mini or micro hydro. Okay. Yeah, it's not a big dam. It's, it doesn't go to like hundred kilowatts. It's like maybe the most maybe 20, 10, 10, 10 kilowatts, twenty kilowatts like that. Mm -hmm. So, but it, and it actually can power a small village. So you don't have to flood a big area. You just create a pond. Okay, so a small pond. Yeah, a small a pond. Small, small dam. Small mm -hmm. pond, and then uh, and then the, and then the water for the pond will create the energy to run the turbines, which mm -hmm. can power uh, a small village. Mm -hmm. So that which is is more environmental friendly, more sustainable, and also gets the community to actually. Um, um, what I call it, participate in in in, yeah. in developing your village. Yeah. yeah, imagine it's cool when you see where your energy is coming from and you can uh, use it right away. Yeah, and you can basically like incorporate the whole system in the environment and don't have to, like I said, don't have to flood anything. Yeah, don't have to destroy anything. That's really really cool. 
And um, how did you actually, you also talked about already about the Baron Dam, 2017. You, um, that was your biggest success, I think, the cancellation of the dam. Yeah. Yeah. How did you do it? Can you take us to the um, point? We actually, we had quite a lot of uh, protests, demonstrations. We wrote uh, petition letters. We did a signature campaign. Uh, we even went to some of our representatives. Even went to Europe mm -hmm. to campaign against uh, uh, because at that time uh, the CEO for Sarawak Energy was actually a Norwegian. Mm. Yeah, so he was paid like a huge amount of money to to run Sarawak Energy. And so some of our groups went, actually went to Europe and campaigned against uh, someone uh, in Norway, where he, he comes from, saying that uh, you should stop this guy from coming over to Sarawak and uh, damaging our environment and also to the indigenous peoples. So he managed to put pressure on him. And, uh, and also uh, we sent representatives to the Malaysian parliament to talk to uh, the MPs over there, opposition MPs. I mean, the government MPs, they won't listen to us at that time. Because mm -hmm. at that time, it was still Parisian national government. So it was only after the change in government last year that now, mm -hmm. those that we used to talk to, they are now in government. So that, that's, that's a good thing. And uh, what we, we also managed to um, highlight uh, uh, the bad effects of Bakun, the bad effects of Murun as well. And we managed to even bring it up all the way up to the UN level. Yeah, yeah the, we went to the, what call it, this uh, permanent forum for indigenous people's issues in New York. We went to Geneva to talk in the, especially in the, what do you call it, the Universal Periodic Review, the UPR for each country. So when Malaysia came up, so we sent some representatives over there to talk on that uh, damn issues, especially on violations of human rights and all that. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, this somehow managed to pressure the state government to rethink. And also, because we, the, and then the most important thing is we, we got a lot of our supporters from the villages itself, those affected. Mm -hmm. I think that is the key way we managed to, or why we have to stop the, I mean, we managed to stop the damn because. A lot of the people in the village that we uh, went to, those who are directly affected, do not want to death. So they also joined and also... Yeah, they also joined and they also voiced it out. Voiced it, yeah. And uh, we created like, short video clips showing people from the villages saying their opposition to the death. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, the only people who support those death are those who are going to be benefit from it financially or mm -hmm. uh, position-wise. Uh, you support the band, we will give you a position in this company, or you will be an elected representative, or you will become a minister, something like that. So these are the only people who are supporting the band. Mm -hmm. So those who are against it, a lot of them are the village folks, uh, the people who are concerned, those who, I mean, in the, in the state, they have not agreed to the band, uh, activists, so. That's how we managed to get our voices together and say to uh, the previous chief minister, 
cultivation like oil palm. We also try to promote the idea of having uh, agroforestry uh, and also multi instead of just monoculture plantation, we have multi cropping. Mm -hmm. uh, we cannot stop people from planting oil palm because we have smallholders, farmers also doing oil palm. So, but yeah. we try to put this idea as, as well not to plant only oil palm but as mm -hmm. well to plant um, other crops as well, other cash crops like 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 uh, rubber, mm -hmm. pepper, fruit trees, mm -hmm. even, so, even rice. Yeah, so basically, um, yeah, like I said, not to create monocultures, but to have like a piece of land and you tell yeah. them, okay, maybe you can, um, the crops benefit from each other if you own, not only put oil palm, you can yeah. put rice and uh, what else you said? Yeah, yeah. rubber, rubber pepper, yeah. all this, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is working very well, you said. Um, yeah, some people have started, uh, some people have even started planting what do you call it? This, uh, you know, this, um, uh, this tree where they get out this resin. Yeah. And then they use this resin to make uh, fragrances or even oh, okay. or incense sticks and all these things. So mm -hmm. we call it garu. Mm -hmm. The local term is garu, but I forgot the English name for it. It's, I also don't know what yeah, it is. It's actually a resin. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you have you get a resin, and then you use it. Some some countries they they make it into uh freaking oils, mm -hmm. or some even make it into incense. Mm -hmm. So, and, it, and some people have started doing that, mm -hmm. and some of people have also started to uh, farm bees. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. bees. But in order to have bees, you need to have large trees. Mm -hmm. So, so this what sustainable growth would look like for you to keep it at a small scale and to uh, incorporate the environment and not to put monoculture but rather to put a large variety and also to to talk to the people yeah yeah so yeah we, we, we it's better to to start small small mm -hmm. scale for each, I mean for each member of the community to or what they can actually afford and what actually they can do. On their own, we don't want to promote an idea which is big and we start to do something big and uh, commercial it, commercialize it, and uh, like oil palm, for example. Uh, I mean, like oil palm prices now are not very good. Mm -hmm. So if you have a large monocrop plantation of oil palm, uh, I mean it's very labor intensive. You have to use a lot of fertilizers. You have to look, you have to employ a lot of. Uh, workers to work on the field so it's now it's economically not very good so mm -hmm. the prices are also good so if you have different types of uh, cash crops um, uh, then the, i mean at least they can be i mean one of the prices of this community like oil pump when it goes down at least they can still better rubber pepper whatever yeah cocoa something like that yeah, so you're not only depending on one crop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That does make sense. Here in the podcast, there are mostly people listening from Europe. And I feel that, uh, like I said in the beginning, we have a different perception on dams because I, for example, didn't know so much about yeah. dams and their effects. But in Europe, we actually don't have so many flea 
free-flowing rivers left, I think only in the east. We also have a lot of dams. And um, do you also feel that uh, European people have a different perception on dams? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, those who are those who are not depending on the rivers or they are directly or indirectly. I mean, I I don't think they feel the effects mm. unless you are depending on the river or you need the river for to to to, to sustain the ecosystem. Mm. Like uh, like like you said. Uh, A lot of rivers in Europe are being dammed, and there's a lot of free-flowing rivers. Uh, even this will change the pattern of fish, mm. fish migrations. So it will affect also the way the fish breeds. Because sometimes the fish needs to go up in order to breed, but because of the dam, they came up. Mm. Uh, so this will affect the fish species. Uh, in a way, and the dams also have the, they, they have the shed life. Like uh, I read in some articles that, uh, like in Europe, the maybe in the depths will have about the shelf life of maybe 25, 30 or maybe 50 years. Mm -hmm. But in uh, tropical areas, because of large heavy rains, uh, large rains, and then uh, and then uh, you get a lot of siltation going on. So the shelf life of the dam is much shorter. What is happening to the dams if they if they can't? So use if food? if the if there's a lot of sultation going on, mm -hmm. then the dams will not be as efficient. It also it will not work as efficiently like it will use be used to be a lot of sultation when the water level becomes uh, shallower, and also sultation will affect the the turbine as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, you have to spend a lot of money on maintenance costs and all that. Like I heard, because it's about now, we have at least three dams running. The first dam ever built was in Batakai. And uh, this dam actually is uh, only one turbine is working at one time. Mm -hmm. Out of the two or three, I think, only one. And the rest is actually either it's not working or they have, it's, it's broken. Mm -hmm. Same thing with uh, Bakun. Not all eight of the turbines are running at the same time. Mm -hmm. They only put on three. Uh, because now we have like excess of power. Mm -hmm. So if you run all eight, then you have a uh, huge excess of power in the state. So they're only running three. Murum has also just started to run now. But uh, I, I don't think they will run all the turbines as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, it's... It's a waste of money to build a huge dam, but you only waste, you know, using one turbine or two turbines on yeah. the whole thing. So you're only, only using a part of it, you mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, instead of building a huge dam, why don't you just, I mean, they, of course, I'm against building this dam, which floods. I mean, the logic is if you're not going to use all the power, why build a big dam? But of course, uh, I mean, The logic is when you think like the politicians, when you think like the big companies that's building the dams, when you build bigger, they will pay you more. You get more, more, more profits. So that's mm -hmm. how they, they, okay. they, they, it's all about business. It's all about making money. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with the environment, nothing to do with developing the state. And then it's only, like I said, some people benefiting. Yeah. It's not like uh, the whole industry or like the whole country would benefit. It's yeah. some people. 
Yeah. So only some, only those who are connected to those who are in the corridors of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I mean, you build the dam. Who who will benefit the most? Those who supply the materials, of course, like cement, steel, and uh, who is the biggest supplier of cement and steel? Is uh, is actually chief ministers and I mean the former chief minister, who is now the governor. Mm-hmm. He owns most of the cement and steel uh, manufacturing companies in Sarawak. So mm-hmm. he is tend to benefit from it, all, all of this. Mm-hmm. Do you sometimes feel, I don't know, if, if I would listen and you would say, okay, there are people from the industry in the government, there are some huge and big wealthy people benefiting from them. Do you sometimes feel like devastated or feel like, okay, it doesn't work, uh, they're too big, I'm so small, I mean, I'm just one organization speaking up? Or do you always feel like, okay, no, I, I got this, I can, we, I can change Yeah, that. sometimes you get a feel. I mean, when we first started, that's how we felt. That's why nobody wanted to do in the beginning. Nobody dare to do a dam, an anti-dam campaign because we are a small organization. I don't think we can fight. I mean, these are all big, big people. Those uh, big companies, they have the power, they have the resources. But of course, when we, we, we gang up, not only one organization, but a few organizations, and together with the community, we feel that yeah, maybe we have a shot at this. We can actually uh, fight. Uh, but at times, there are times when you feel, when you feel that way, when you feel down. You know, sometimes you think to yourself, "Am I? Is it worth it to to fight, or you know, or should we just follow whatever the argument?" Mm-hmm. Of course, when the, what gives us the, the 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 drive, I mean, the drive to actually fight is actually from the communities. Mm-hmm. As long as you see the communities having the strength, the spirit to fight. And uh, that's how the NGOs will continue to, to, to highlight the issue. Yeah, that's really, yeah. really cool. And normally I also ask people on the podcast, okay, is there anything the listeners or like one single person can do? Because like I said, or like you also said, the problem seems so big. There are so many big people standing behind the problem. Is there anything that really maybe have an idea that one person can change? Also like, I don't know, from Europe or someone who's listening. Um... Yeah, I mean, I mean, we all contribute in our own little way, and uh, some big, some small. But uh, of course, uh, all of our contribution, it it, it, it when we all collect it together, it becomes one big, one big effort. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, for those people in Europe, uh, I mean, like the the support that they give, like like. Like for NGOs, most of the time, uh, our funding comes from Europe or from just the, the United States. Uh, and then uh, we need people like this to actually support us in, in our struggle. And uh, of course, it's quite difficult to do fundraising, uh, to, to, to convince people of your cause. But more if to convince people from actually outside of the country, from those far away. I mean, I mean, why should people bother about somebody who is thousands of kilometers away? But mm-hmm. we are thankful for people who are actually mm-hmm. having the, 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 the what do you call it the the heart 
to actually yeah. or that they feel that they need to do something because we live in a world which we share together. Yeah. In so, the end, we are, we are all we connected. Are yeah. We are buying products that contain the oil palm and that's yeah. why we have the crop here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all connected. And maybe some people are also listening and starting to think about dams. I'm sure there are also projects in Europe that are advocating for local dam projects that maybe also have a similar effect. Yeah. Flooding areas. And I mean, it's, it's bad enough that you are flooding large areas of land. And then uh, you're going to displace people, displace the habitat of animals, and flood large areas of forests, and country, and then also releasing what we call it this uh, this uh, carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So then it's not it's not sustainable. Don't be fooled by uh, large corporations saying that dams are sustainable. Dams is the way forward. It's actually, dams are actually They are outdated technology. Dams are being, it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, it was done in the 30s, 40s. I mean, now, with all the technology that we have, we actually can move forward from, from dams. Yeah. Yeah, so why not we start thinking of, uh, of uh, ways where we, we, we should use our um, the technology that we have now to make, and, and invest in more and clean renewable green energy yeah we think green energy yeah yeah, yeah. cool at the end of uh, every of my interviews i'm asking five short questions and um, the first one is uh, what means sustainability the word for you what do you connect with the word sustainability sustainability means um, um, you just i mean you can still use a particular resource not only you but as well as your generation and your next generation and so on and it's always it's always there it's not uh it's not uh, something that you take and then let's, let's say no more mm -hmm. so for, for me sustainability means is to be there for you your and your future generation yeah, that's beautiful do you maybe have um one simple tool or maybe tip or hack what someone that is listening can do to make his or her life more sustainable or maybe to have um, to change the impact that they're having um, on the event i don't really <laughs> i don't know what to say to the tools but uh, one thing is that uh, what we can I mean the way we think is um, yeah. uh, I mean, of course people need to make money in order to, to live but but uh, making money is not always the solution to all the problems that we have in this world. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we need to think and sacrifice a bit uh, in order to, to make this place a better place to live. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Instead of just making money. <laughs> yeah. Money doesn't make happy in the yeah. end, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Is there maybe a book or film or anything that inspired you that you want to share? Uh, I don't know. I don't know really. Film, yeah. Maybe like a local yeah. local film or something that uh, is there anything. Uh, there's a song. Oh, that's also cool. A song, a local song. Uh -huh. Uh, sung by Zainal Abidin, our local singer. It's called Hijau. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Hijab means green. Mm-hmm. It's a quite popular song in the in the 90s. There's one song that I also personally like. Mm-hmm. It has meaning to the has meaning to this the 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 work that I do, the work that uh, yeah. most of the activists do. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. So it's about um, one local people. You said it's uh, he's singing about. Uh, he's actually green. singing about. Uh, he's actually singing generally about the, the state of the environment mm-hmm. and how our leaders are actually into corruption, greedy, green, I mean, corruption, greediness, and all this thing actually could. Uh, Uh, this is what actually kills the environment and all that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll find it on YouTube and I put the link uh, in the description. Yeah, it's, it's hijab. <laughs> yeah, I have to write it down later. <laughs> okay, um, we also we also touched a little bit on this one. Um, what is your feeling when you're looking towards the next 10, 20 years? Because there's a lot of change coming up, a lot of people talking about, okay, we have only a short term short time left when it comes to the big problems like climate change and keeping a certain temperature and co2 emissions um, do you have a general positive feeling do you think we can sustain our lives here long term um, i mean to be optimistic i think you still have a chance to to to, uh, to make the changes uh, it's just that we have to convince our leaders that uh, we need to do something, we need to protect the environment. And all these big heavy industries or this energy guzzling industries are actually not uh, a sustainable way forward. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need to actually tell our present leaders. Um, for Malaysia, we have a change in government. Uh, and then uh, we have a, a good progressive environmental minister at the moment. So I'm, I'm optimistic Malaysia we can 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 go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, globally, um, of course, uh, I mean the biggest uh, problem we have is those those countries who are very heavily still very heavily dependent on on, on fossil fuels, mm-hmm. like China, even the US. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So these are the two countries that actually need to change radically yeah. in order to stop uh, the climate change from I mean, accelerating yeah. the, the, the process of climate change. Mm-hmm. But then, like I said, it does make sense to think about your country, about your town, Malaysia, and then uh, you can change here at home, and then maybe other countries are following. Yeah. You can lead by example. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, if you can do that, you can set an example for other countries, why mm-hmm. not? And uh, I mean, like for example, Singapore is doing quite well, and then even even uh, Indonesia now is having making steps towards towards that. Mm-hmm. Even they have they have a huge population, but at least now they are moving forward. And Malaysia also should do the same as well. Yeah. Is there anything you would like to add in the end? Anything? Uh One uh, last word, anything, good point of contact, if there's someone wants to learn more about uh, safe rivers. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a pity you didn't get to meet uh, Peter Kalang, but uh, maybe in the future you can yeah, yeah. see him and talk to him, or maybe have a Skype conversation with him. Uh, I mean, this struggle has been a, quite a long struggle, you know, and along the way we have met a lot of 
interesting people that have helped us along the way. And uh, I mean, without their expertise, we should we don't have been able to counter all this uh, propaganda by the government saying that the devs are good and all this. So at least we have help from outside helping us and we like to thank these people as well. And uh, I mean, that's their contribution, small contribution for, for, to us uh, in safe rivers. Yeah. yeah. Thank you again. Thank you so much for taking the thank time. You. Thank you. Wow, I'm still so grateful and really, really happy. And um, it's so crazy how much I learned in just this one talk and I also I hope you felt the same and uh, I really think we should rethink our yeah perception on energy on our government that talks about green politics about green energy I think we also got a lot to do in Europe not only about it's not only about yeah Malaysia and um, hearing about their problems but kind of taking it also home and thinking about, okay, what can I incorporate in my daily life? And you actually can. I mean, it starts with the podcast, maybe. Maybe you want to share it. Maybe you can look, okay, what? where's my energy coming from? What is my energy provider actually doing? Where's my food coming from? Does it contain palm oil? What's the effect of it? You do have a really, really big power as a consumer. And it could be terrifying at some point. But I feel that it's a lot of fun to take responsibility. You learn so much and you don't have to be perfect. Even right now, listening to this one, you are learning, you are listening, you are spreading the word. So yeah, if you want to do it with this podcast, it would be really awesome. We could connect, you can share it, leave a review on iTunes, or write me, or write to me what you think on it on Instagram or Facebook. I put the link here in the description. So yeah, I think for me it was really powerful to hear what local people can can do and that in the end it is about local communities speaking up and we are powerful right where we are. So I think, um, yeah, I just can say thank you. Thank you for your support, for your time and Let's change perspectives.